Welcome back to the Subs Bench. I'm Sam. Uh, don't have a guest joining me today, uh, so I'll be going through this week's uh, news in sport by myself. And there's been a lot of football this week, so we'll go straight into the Premier League results. Um, we'll start on Monday last week. Uh, Burnley beating Crystal Palace 1-0 away. A good result for Burnley. Ben Mee with the goal. Um, I'll spend time on uh, going through some of the results, not all of them. Um, there's more talking points in other results than others. Um, Tuesday, Manchester United won 3-0 away at Brighton. A great result for them as they continue their late push for a Champions League place. Um, Greenwood Greenwood, uh, Greenwood with the first goal, Bruno Fernandes with the other two. I'll talk a bit more about United a bit later because they seem to be uh, resurging at the moment, especially the likes of um, Pogba and Fernandes and Mason Greenwood showing that he is truly a really promising young talent. Uh, Wednesday, 1st of July, we had four matches. Uh, Newcastle winning 4-1 away at Bournemouth, in which is was really a terrible result for them. Uh, for Bournemouth, I mean, not Newcastle, of course. Um, Bournemouth currently lying 19th in the table, 27 points, one point of safety. Uh, it is. I've mentioned this on a couple of podcasts so far. Bournemouth on paper, do have some quality in their, in their side of the likes of um, players like Nathan Ake, who's always been very solid for them, and uh, players like Callum Wilson, who can usually be relied on to get a few goals. But um, they just haven't been playing well all season. And uh, this 4-1 defeat at home to Newcastle kind of sums it up. It's just, it's 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 unfortunate for a team, with someone who, for a manager, they have a manager like Eddie Howe, who people rate really highly. He's still young, he's still got a future ahead of him, but it just seems to seems like Bournemouth's time is up in, in the Premier League. Um, I predicted them to stay up when I did the podcast a couple of weeks ago with Matt. Um, I said they'd like sneak into, into a 17th place and West Ham going down, but... It doesn't look like that will be the case at the moment. And Bournemouth are heading back to the championship, it looks like. Um, Everton beat Leicester 2-1 at home. Great win for Everton. Um, Ancelotti is loved by Everton fans. He's turning their club around, kind of. Um, As for Leicester, um, they haven't really recaptured the form that we we, uh, saw in the first half of the season. Uh, That's taken them to third place which where they still are in the league table, but the struggle now is maintaining that and keeping that position with um, Chelsea and United breathing down the next. Even Wolves. Wolves are six points behind uh, Leicester with five games to go. It's the race for the, well, the European place is very close at the moment. Arsenal won 4-0 uh, at home to Norwich. A statement of intent, it seemed like, by Arsenal. Um, a very poor start to the restart for them, but they've seemed to have turned a corner. Aubameyang scoring two, Xhaka with the other, and Cedric as well. Um, sad, sad for Norwich again to see them. Uh, to see them in that position again. I've I've mentioned it previously. A team with individual talent, but just can't seem to be able to put it together as a team. Uh, people people are saying like on paper they are they're one of the teams who don't deserve to go down because of the individual quality, but they just haven't produced results and, and I don't think we should expect to see them in the Premier League next year. Um, The game of the day was the final game. Uh, West Ham winning 3-2 at home to Chelsea. A great win for West Ham um, in their fight against relegation. They are now uh, currently, as as a result of all the other fixtures played in that week, they are currently four points off the relegation zone. Um, it was a poor performance from Chelsea, just not, not to take anything away from West Ham, because they did deserve to win, especially after the controversial goal that they had uh, disallowed. Uh, Thomas Suchek got his goal disallowed as a result of VAR. Chelsea then took the lead. Suchek did, then eventually scored a header that was allowed. Um, and then Antonio scoring for West Ham, William equalising once again before Yamalenko won the game for West Ham in the 89th minute. Um yeah, as I said, it's a great win for West Ham, uh, who many, who I, many, including myself, did seem to believe were going down, but now find themselves four points clear of the relegation zone. Um, for Chelsea, it's a 
it's not an ideal result, especially as they try to catch Leicester and seal third place. And I could be more importantly, um, maintain their position in the top four as Manchester United breathe down their necks. Only two point United are only two points behind Chelsea at the moment. Um, but yeah, next games uh, on Thursday we had two big talk, uh, two big games that produced a lot of talking points. The first of which was Sheffield United being my team Spurs three one at home. Um, I'm gonna rant about Spurs in the main segment of the episode. Um, in the for for the people in the back segment, but uh, we'll just to dis- I'll discuss it briefly. It was a shocking performance from Spurs. <laughs> just there's nothing good to say about it. Um, Sheffield United played well. They hadn't uh, won since since won a game since the restart. Um, but you know. <laughs> Tottenham will always be the club to sort that out for you but um, yeah Sheffield United just completely uh, I, w- I won't even say outplayed Spurs because Sheffield not to take everything away they weren't they didn't play uh, United didn't play badly but they weren't anything special Spurs made it very very easy for Sheffield United um, and of course there was the ridiculous VAR decision in the first half uh, immediately after Sanderberger scored the opener Harry Kane thought he'd scored the equaliser, but uh, the goal was disallowed for a handball in the build-up where Lucas Moura was fouled and the and the ball collided with his arm. Um, it looked like it was kicked onto his arm as well. But as the new law states, if there is any, if the ball comes into contact with any part of the arm in the build-up to a goal, the goal cannot stand. Um, so realistically, the problem here lies with um, the law the letter of the law rather than VAR and the referee's decision um, itself what is the referee supposed to do in that situation if that's what the law dictates that's what he has to go by um, but that's not that's not saying that it's a ridiculous decision in itself because there was nothing Lucas Moore could have done he was falling towards the ball as a result of being fouled which led to many people arguing that if the goal was disallowed then Lucas Moore uh, Sp- sorry Spurs should have been awarded a free kick for Moore being fouled in the build up but that didn't occur. Um, Sheffield United scored two after that through Liz Musa and Oli McBurney. Um, Harry Kane grabbed a consolation goal in the in the 90th minute, despite having <laughs> the ball in the net um, tw- uh, three times prior to that. And then later in the day, we had a stunning result um, at the Etihad Stadium with Manchester City being the champions Liverpool 4-0. Um an unexpected result is a re- reminder of how good um, Manchester City can be. Um, yeah, I think that's what it said the most says about. Uh, that's what it says the most about the game. Liverpool losing four 0 despite putting out their one of their on paper their strongest lineup. All three of their um, now famous front three: midfield of Wijnaldum, Fabinho, and Henderson, Van Dijk playing, Alexander Arnold and, Rob- and Robertson playing. But yeah, when Man City get going, when they turn it on and start playing like that, they're, as I've mentioned before, they are completely unstoppable no matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're champions or or um, bottom of the table. Um, I should mention that, well, it goes without saying how good Kevin De Bruyne can be, but recently Phil Foden has really impressed. Um, he deserves his reputation as one of the most promising young talents in English football. Pep Guardiola's gone on record saying that he's one of the most talented players he's ever worked with, which is really high praise. Um, but yeah, it's a shocking result <laughs> for Liverpool. Um, there's a lot made of the the guard of honour before the game as well. Um, a bit anticlimactic. Uh, there's a lot of lot is made of the dynamic between Joe Gomez and Raheem Sterling. Um yeah. Also, Bernardo Silva was seen not clapping during the guard of honor, which a lot of people had a lot to say about. Um, we'll move on to the games on Saturday, where we had five games. Uh, Norwich again losing to Brighton at home, another bad result for them. Uh, we then we, we then had a fantastic game: Manchester United winning five-two against Bournemouth. Again, another terrible result for Bournemouth, pushing them closer uh, to relegation. But a fa- another fantastic performance for United. Um, as I see, it's hard. To, it's hard to 
rank or place or rate the United, uh, Manchester United team because their form can be so up and down. They have got a lot of individual talent in their squad. That, that, that can't be denied. But whether they can put that together in the future for a potential title challenge remains to be seen. Um, it's difficult to say whether Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is overachieving, underachieving, or whether they're in the way where you, um, where where you'd expect them to be at the moment. But uh, yeah, we'll talk about some of the players on the, the side, especially Mason Greenwood, who looks to be a fantastic finisher. Um, eight, only eighteen years old, and he's proving to be one of the first. Name, well, proving why he should be one of the first names on the team sheet for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the moment. Um, Bruno Fernandes I've talked to people about him and every, everyone I've talked about him is impressed with him as a Spurs fan uh, uh, we were linked to Fernandes in the summer we didn't we didn't end up signing him eventually uh, we opted to sign Giovanni Lo Celso and nothing wrong with signing Giovanni Lo Celso who I believe will be a, one of the best players in the league in a few years I think he's got world class potential but Bruno Fernandes has come in and just changed Manchester United they look like a completely different team to before before they signed him I don't want to like overrate him too quickly or anything but that kind of impact can't be denied he's been incredible um, Nemanja Matic has also been integral recently he's played a crucial role in Red United's recent success and that's um, gone flown a bit on, uh, flown under radar a little bit I know United fans won't um, underappreciate his impact but Demandian Matic, when you look at the, uh, the team sheet, he's not one of the names that jumps off the page, but he's been he's played a crucial role. Um, seemed to be cap- recapturing some of the form that made him into a, made him into a household name while he was found uh, in his initial success at Chelsea. Uh, Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial both got on the score sheet against Bournemouth as well. That's um, obviously two two players who are rated very highly by United fans, especially. Marcus Rashford. Martial, it's good to see Martial uh, providing. That's the kind of thing um, the United fans want to see from him, especially after paying all that money for him, which seems like ages ago now. But yeah, Manchester United are on the right track. Uh, Leicester continue their push for a Champions League spot with a 3-0 win at home to Crystal Palace. That's a good win for them. Uh, Jamie Vardy passing 100 goals in the Premier League. Which is incredible. Which is an incredible achievement. Um, coming to the Premier League at the age that he did, reaching a hundred goals, he's got a Premier League winners' medal as well. He's a fantastic striker, and he will go down as genuinely a Premier League legend. Um, I don't think he's quite <laughs> as niche mentioned in the in our top ten players when we did that in the first episode. I I wouldn't call him the eighth best player in the Premier League, but um, he is. He's he. I still think personally. He's underrated and he could do a job for most sides in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, fantastic achievement for Jamie Vardy, Kelechi and Nacho, my boy, getting on the score sheet as well in that match. Um, Wolves beat, uh, so excuse me, Arsenal beat Wolves 2-0, uh, which is a great result for Arsenal. As I said, they seem to have turned a corner a little bit. Uh, Bukayo Saka got the opener for them. Great week for him. He signed a new uh, new contract. Um something Arsenal fans were clamouring for because he's been one of the bright spots in what's been a pretty dark season for them. A very versatile player. Great finish on the on the volley for them, uh, for that goal. Uh, but yeah, it's a great result. Lacazette scoring later on. Again, he Arsenal fans will be hoping he can recapture uh, some of the form that uh, that, he's, that we'd seen from him at Lyon that Arsenal wanted to bring him in for because they do need another source of goals when Aubameyang isn't provided, providing them. Um, sure, Eddie Nketiah is another option, but is he reliable to the extent like that they need him to be? Uh, it's probably too early to say. But yeah, Arsenal do look like they have changed a little bit. The defence is still probably a priority that like they need to sort that out. Um, I don't think they're going to get to the heights they want to be with a back three of uh, Kalisanak, Louise, and Mustafi. But, you know, um, Arteta, give him time and see what happens there. Arteta seems to be doing a good job with what he has available to him. Um, and then Chelsea beat Watford 3 0 at home uh, later in the day. Giroud, Willian, and Barkley with the goals. 
good, good, fairly routine win for Chelsea at home. And then on Sunday, we had four more matches. Sheffield United being held at home by Burnley, 1-1. As I said, Sheffield United haven't been in great form since the restart, apart from when they played Tottenham. But um, yeah, uh, John Egan with the equaliser in the 80th minute for them. West Ham threw away a lead twice against uh, against Newcastle, a two-all draw there. Um, well, it's, a, it's not a bad result for West Ham. It's a game they would like to be winning, especially after taking the lead twice. But um, as I said, they are now four points off the relegation zone. Ho- uh, they will be hoping they can uh, stay in the Premier League now. Uh, they've got a they haven't got a ter- they've got a haven't got a terrible run of fixtures left. The only one that you'd say is really difficult is the away fixture against United. On that's their second to last game. But the five games they have left are against Burnley, Norwich, Watford. United, as I mentioned, and Aston Villa. So, a fairly favourable run of results, especially the ones against um, uh, Norwich and Villa and Watford. Those are, for the other teams, those are those, those are what you'd call relegation six-pointers. But, um, yeah, they'll be, uh, West Ham fans will be annoyed they threw away the lead against, uh, threw away the lead against Newcastle twice, but the position they're in, if they stay in the league, I don't think they can be too mad at that. I know some West Ham fans will be saying that they can, they should be achieving more. They shouldn't be in a place where they're battling for releg- uh, battling against relegation. Um, but it's just how it is at the moment. I did think the appointment of David Moyes uh, earlier this season showed a bit of lack of ambition from West Ham, especially when just just a few seasons ago, it feels like decades ago, but when they were challenging for European spots with. Uh, Dimitri Payet in his prime um, but yeah especially when you get there's a lot of hype West Ham every season they seem to make um, big name big money signings but then the, they as a team don't tend to provide the results on the pitch for players like um, Felipe, and- Felipe Anderson or uh, Sebastian Allaire come in with a lot of fanfare but then don't tend to improve the team as a whole. I know uh, Ale has had a few issues with injuries this season, isn't currently available for them, but they just haven't... It's, I don't know what they need. This They just seem, always seem to be missing something, and I don't think the point of David Moyes, while he does bring ex- like years of experience um, and years of experience managing within the Premier League, he's, he's probably... He is a reasonable appointment for a battle against relegation. He's not the man you want to be taking your team into the future and we'll see if West Ham can recapture some of the form that made them a genuinely interesting team to watch a few years ago but they just don't seem to be in that position at the moment. Um, Liverpool later in the day won 2-0 against Aston Villa. It was a hard-fought fixture, Villa defended very. Uh, Villa defended well uh, it took a while for Liverpool to get the breakthrough, which they did in the 71st minute through Sadio Mane. Uh, he scored again. And then Curtis Jones, a youngster, uh, scoring in the 89th minute, his first Premier League goal. Um, Villa are also on 27 points in the table, level one points with uh, Bournemouth battling against relegation. I can't see Villa staying up, uh, in truth. They haven't, I just don't see, I don't see them having the overall quality in their team, they've still got some tough fixtures left. They've got uh, United left to play. They've got Crystal Palace, Everton, that's a tough fixture. Arsenal at home and West Ham away. Um, I can't see them staying up. Um, yeah, it'll be difficult for them. Jack Grealish is obviously a great player. Uh, Graeme Sooners had some words to say about him <laughs> for Sky Sports recently, just saying that he wasn't, he wasn't like, the play he wasn't performing to levels expected of him. He, to, uh, he said he questioned Jack Grealish's top team uh, potential. He said he has ability and he's easy on the eye, easy on the eye, silky on the eye. But I'm yet to be convinced by him. I don't think that's totally fair criticism. There are the role Grealish plays. He often drops deeper as well. Isn't always when he's not on the ball. Like he isn't. It doesn't see. He doesn't add that much to the team. But um. He is a genuinely really talented player and he's main he's the not the main source, he is the source of creativity in an Aston Villa team that desperately needs it. And 
most people would agree that he's reached a point in his career where he's outgrown Aston Villa. Um, whether he chooses to stay at the club if they get relegated, that's a question of his loyalty to the team, a club that he's grown up a fan of. But um, personally, I can't see him remaining. There's always been interest from him from um, the so-called bigger clubs. And yeah, he is what some people might refer to as a kind of luxury player, which is why Sunis is questioning him, you know. He he does tend to disappear in some games occasionally, but he is a very talented player and I don't think you can be too harsh on him given the team that he's playing in. And then the result of the weekend, arguably, Southampton defeated Manchester City 1-0. Um, Manchester City obviously coming off the back of the of the strong 4-0 win against the champions, Liverpool, no less. Um, losing at home, sorry, losing away, excuse me, to Southampton side, who played very well. Um, Che Adams finally scoring his first Premier League goal, uh, first goal, actually, for Southampton, with a fantastic chip over Edison. Um, obviously, Edison is the kind of keeper who likes the like a modern sweeper keeper he likes to join in attacks play he's one of genuinely one of the best passers in the league not just for a goalkeeper for all positions he's he it's a kind of role that we haven't really seen to this extent before the goalkeeper play, uh, <laughs> playing long balls over the top to the attackers but obviously when he's playing further forward he's uh he likes to play off his line um it leaves an element of risk as we saw in Che Adams exploited that uh, chipping Edison with a great finish and for the rest of the game uh, Southampton has to be said defended really well um, even venturing forward still um, Stuart Armstrong was a source of creativity a lot he's he's a good player for Southampton although Danny Ings didn't get on the score sheet in this match um, Ings has been a great player for them for, this, for them this season it's not harsh on him to say that he's um, found the level found his level. I don't think it was ever it was ever really gonna work out for him at Liverpool. But he's succeeded this season at um Southampton. It's also a really good performance from uh Tottenham Loney, Carl Walker Peters, who I also believe has found his level. Um I don't he even though he had a few um good performances at a few good performances at Spurs as the backup or emergency uh right back you'd call him. I don't think he was ever going to break into the first team. Um, loaning him out was a good decision. You could argue whether that he should have been sold permanently. But, um, yeah, he had a great performance for Southampton. I think the move will be made permanent in the summer, possibly with um, Hoibio going the other way to Spurs. Um, but, yeah, at, he's 23. He's not, uh, Kyle Walker-Peters is not as young as some people think, even though not to say that he hasn't got his whole career ahead of him but um, yeah I think he's found his level and he played very well for them uh, it's worth noting that Foden and De Bruyne both didn't start two players who have been key for City recently um, they did eventually come on in the 59th minute but they couldn't turn it unfortunately for City fans they couldn't turn the game around for them um, Gabriel Jesus hasn't quite stepped up to the levels that City want from him yet. Um, a lot of football fans in general are, are uh, remain to be convinced by Gabriel Jesus. He has got huge shoes to fill uh, with Sergio, when Sergio Aguero is either rested or injured as he is now. And it's not like Jesus isn't a good striker. But he, uh, playing for one of the, the best teams in the league, in the world, they need him to be world-class when Aguero's not there. And he's as he's 23, he's 23. Um, he's still got his whole career ahead of him. He can still improve. But they want to see more from him. He's been there um, three seasons, four seasons now. He's not quite at the level they want to see from him. But still a good striker. Um, and yeah. Uh, Southampton stealing a win from Manchester City. Uh, I quickly mentioned other sports. Um, Formula One restarted this weekend. Uh, Valtteri Bottas of Mercedes uh, winning the Austrian Grand Prix with uh, Charles Leclerc Ferrari second. And Lando Norris of McLaren Brit yeah, became the youngest British driver ever to set foot on the podium, finishing third. 
Um, Lewis Hamilton got a five-second time penalty as a result of causing a collision with Alex Albon, finishing fourth uh, eventually. But yeah, uh, it was a great race to start the start the season, which will uh, definitely be a shortened season. Um, starting F1 season, well, modern F1 season in July is unheard of. Um, one of the bigger talking points um, before the race, uh, yeah, came before the race with F uh, Formula One showing, stating that they were against racism, that they were willing to take, they were not willing, they were going to take a stand against racism, and the drivers were given the choice whether they wanted to take the knee, which is obviously a now worldwide symbol of solidarity of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, the driver, the drivers were given the option to take the knee, and some opted not to, including um, Charles Leclerc and Max uh, Max Verstappen. Um, this is the kind of thing I'd usually reserve for talking about on the uh, on the back bench, like you hear me talk more about social issues on there. But I don't. I know it is a personal choice of taking the knee, but we all know now what it stands for. We all know that it's a symbol of solidarity and uh, support for black people and a stand against racism. It's nothing more, nothing less. Um, for these uh, for, for these drivers who are in the public eye, prominent, to not take the knee, which is, in a sense, not showing solidarity, it completely undermines any kind of message that Formula One are showing against um uh, showing, showing against racism if they're not standing well in the sense kneeling with their um, fellow drivers it completely takes away from the whole message because more people will be talk not, not only will more people be talking about the drivers that um, who weren't kneeling than the ones who were it also shows that F1 as a whole isn't united in in isn't united in fighting ra- uh, fighting racism um, yeah and I just I just don't think it's acceptable really. It's not it's not that hard <laughs> for them to take a knee to show solidarity. Um in terms of in terms of other sports, um well, I mentioned the NBA which is coming back in 24 days, I believe. Um so basically if you don't know, National Basketball Association in America has set up what they're calling a bubble in the city of Orlando. Uh all the players will be all the players and team staff will be living there for the foreseeable future where they play their games initially um for seeding uh for seeding purposes and then uh, there's only eight games I think and then the playoffs the tour- postseason tournament starts after that um but yeah it's being played in Orlando a lot of the games are being played in uh the Orlando Florida Disney Disney World <laughs> which is amazing um but yeah, there have been a few concerns because there's been quite a few um, positive coronavirus tests. Um, many players testing positive. Some players choosing... Uh, op- players. All the players were given the option to opt out of the restart. Um, some people just... Uh, uh, some as a result of injuries, but most players choosing to opt out because of uh, fear of catching the virus, bring it home to their families, that kind of thing. Completely understandable. But um, some of the players who are still planning to play have been testing positive. Um, it is a bit of a worry, but um, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver has uh, reiterated that play could be halted if coronavirus test comes out of control within the Orlando bubble. Um, but yeah, it's something to it's something to look forward to. I think it's being managed quite well at the moment. Uh, NBA players have apparently been given these rings that they'll be wearing at all times that should, in theory, detect um, COVID-19 symptoms up to three days before they actually show. Um, And the rings are 90% effective, apparently. But yeah, something to look forward to, uh, something different. And yeah, that sums up this week in sport. So for the main segment of the episode, we're going to be going back to for the people in the back, and it's not an opinion really today. Given by myself, I see the opportunity to rant about Tottenham Hotspur and the current state of the team, and what the future holds for the team. Um, 
I was just thinking about where to start, really. The, <laughs> there's a lot to talk about here. Um, so Tottenham currently lie 10th in the league. Uh, 13, sorry, excuse me, 12 points off the top four. <laughs> and 44 points off Liverpool in top spot. Um, if they lose to Everton, who they are playing today. Well, it will be yesterday by the time this pod, uh, this podcast goes out. I would have known the result by then. If they lose to Everton, they will fall to 11th in the table. Into the bottom half of the table. Yeah. That says it all. Spurs have won uh, 12 games a season, drawing 9 and losing 11. That is terrible. <laughs> Um, there's been a lot of debate surrounding the managers and the players recently. I'm going to try and go through or give my opinions on the team. So um, let's let's start with the manager. Let's start with the special one himself, Jose Mourinho. Um, brought in in November, replacing Mauricio Pochettino. And um, I personally believe the managers, both uh, Pochettino and Mourinho, have been scapegoated a little bit by uh, some fans. Although neither manager has been able to produce results, I personally believe the blame lies with the players and the board, mostly. Um, I will never, well, and not at this stage at least, I will never be calling for Jose Mourinho to leave when he hasn't had the opportunity to work with the team, hasn't had a full season, hasn't really been financially backed. He hasn't got to implement much of his vision from what we can see at the club. Um, I would never, yeah, I would never be calling for Mourinho's head at this point in the time. At this point in time, um, nor was I calling for Pochettino to be sacked uh, when he was. Um, I always had faith in Pochettino. We were on a, a terrible run um, in Pochettino's last in in his uh, final twenty five fixtures. Spurs won twenty four points out of seventy five. That's terrible. Whatever way you look at it, Spurs were 14th on the table when he left. Um, yeah, so with Pochettino, you could say his sacking had been coming because if you, if you take away all his previous success uh, at Tottenham, and then obviously not success in terms of trophies, we all, we know that all too well, but success in terms of transforming the club. If you ignore all of that and just look at the form that he was, his team was playing on in uh, his last few months in the club, that's unacceptable for a team who was only a couple of months prior in the Champions League final and a team that has its sights set on loftier goals, you know. Tottenham want to be not only finishing in the top four regularly but challenging for the title when they can. Um, yeah, so in terms of Mourinho at Tottenham, there's been an argument that he is past it, that he's washed, that he's incapable of getting the most out of a Tottenham squad with a lot of talented individuals in. Um, I don't think that's entirely fair. The Tottenham squad is in need of of overhaul, despite despite there being a lot of talented players who I would want to keep around. We do need to improve at a lot of positions. We need to, we need some uh, positions we don't have starting caliber players, but across the team we don't have the proper squad depth that we need. We do have backup players, but not many of them are good enough to the point that they can be rotated in and out of the starting lineup throughout the season. Well, at least to the level that you want when your team is contending for, well, when you want your team to be contending for uh, trophies. Um, I'll quickly mention the players that I would want to keep around, but let it be clear that they are not exempt from criticism and they, a lot of these players haven't had good performances this season. They haven't stepped up when we need them to be. Obviously, um, Harry Kane, who I believe the best strike, who is the best striker in the world, he he needs. I think the team needs to be built around him. Um, the team needs to play to his strengths. Every attack goes through him. That still is the case. He is um, dropping deeper, you know, because he is such a good passer. He does tend to do that. He does track back all the time as well. Um, yeah, I did mention. I mentioned on Twitter uh, a couple of weeks ago that I think Harry Kane can prolong his career by probably three years by dropping, doing like a Rudy-esque drop into midfield as he moves into the later stages of career, becoming a midfielder with, uh, which I think could be a good move for him with his incredible um, passing vision. Uh, and yeah, he could lead the team from there. 
Um, so it'd be a shame to see him move away from goal scoring, which he is arguably best at. But yeah, that's he can extend his career by doing that. Uh, but yeah, I'm getting off topic a bit there. Harry Kane needs to say, the team needs to be built around him. Uh, min Son, I believe, is a world-class player. He Most managers be able to get a, the best out of him. He's a good finisher. He's can be an impact sub if you need him to be. He's two-footed. He he does well, but again, he's, the consistency is the issue for him. Steven Bergwijn, very promising. He's looked good at the club. Um, something controversial here. Da- Davinson Sanchez. A lot of people. There's been a lot of hate directed towards Davinson Sanchez recently, but he is still a young centre back. He's been our best centre. He's been our best defender this season, I think. Um, it's depend. Well, that's if you count Sergio as a defender who has been good. Um, but Davinson Sanchez, although he is prone to the occasional mistake, he is a very good centre-back who is also one for the future I think is one that's worth keeping around um, Giovanni Lo Celso already mentioned I think would be one of the best midfielders in the world given the right opportunity and given time Tungi and Dombele I would say the exact same for um, despite his obvious issues with fitness and consistency um, and arguably an, an attitude problem I don't want to use that phrase because we all know it's connotations but that's what people have been saying of him um despite all those issues it's i think it, it can work out for him at tottenham given given he's given playtime given he is focused um <laughs> given that the manager and the board believes in him i think he will be a success um i'm just trying to think of other players who are worth keeping around if we want to succeed there are um Dal, I, i've mentioned deli ali he's another controversial figure um but when we, when he's at his best he is a very very uh talented footballer but the problem is he is not always at his best um less so recently under when Mourinho came in deli ali looked to be we looked like we were seeing the old deli ali Mourinho said Mourinho had the now famous quote saying that he said he saw Delhi's brother on the pitch before he arrived. When Mourinho came in, Deli Ali came back. But yeah, he hasn't um, seen the form that we've wanted to see from him recently. Um, have got other young players like uh, Jeff Tanganga, who's actually in the first team quite a lot um, before the, uh, before the enforced break as a result of coronavirus. He's integral, I think, to long term success at the back. At Tottenham, and I also mentioned Troy Parrott, who, while he isn't ready now, I do think that um, I do think he is one for the future and could be a very good striker if his development goes right. Um, so that's saying all the players that I think should uh, we should, without doubt, keep around. There are some in the squad that can that could stay um, because they do add. <laughs> Add something, but there is. We need a massive overhaul in the in the in the squad. We need arguably a complete new set of fullbacks. There's only two true fullbacks currently at at Tottenham. Those being Sergio and Ben Davies. And while I don't think either of them are strictly terrible, especially Sergio, who's been massively improved under Jose Mourinho, and is genuinely one of my for all his for all his flaws, he's genuinely one of my favourite players. Um, Sergio and Ben Davis aren't fullbacks. They don't. You don't want them to be your starting fullbacks um, for a team that's pushing for top four, or that wants to be pushing for top four. Um, whether they are kept around as backups, that's another story. I think they could do a job as backup fullbacks. We don't have any backup fullbacks at the moment after we loaned out um, both Carl Walker Peters and Danny Rose. But I think both of those two players need to be sold permanently. They're, they're just not going to cut it, realistically. But yeah, pair of new fullbacks, crucial. Um, speaking of backups, uh, a backup striker. This, <laughs> this squad is crying out for a backup striker, and it has been for years. Um, Harry Kane is going to have an injury problem every season. His ankles seem to be made of glass. Um and we need someone to step in and fill fill his shoes when he's not there. When we're not expecting like a world class striker, but just someone to fill the gap. Yes, Deli Ali, Bergwijn, 
Lucas Moura, Jungmin Son can all play up front. They can, but not well. <laughs> Let me just say it like that. We want an out-and-out striker to come in and replace Harry Kane or one that we can throw on in late-game situations when we're trailing or need a goal. Fernando Llorente was that when he was at Tottenham. And Llorente was... He did his job. No one's expecting him to come in and be do Harry Kane's job and carry on like there's nothing, like nothing has happened. But he did his job. He, he came on, won headers, held the ball up well. He did his job. And even if we had... Llorente wasn't like setting the world on fire at Tottenham. He was limited in what he could do because he got limited amount of minutes. The team under Pochettino, the style of play, did not benefit someone like Fernando Llorente at all. Um... Aside from in like the last five minutes of games where we'd thrown long balls and crosses into the box uh, relentlessly, but the Pochettino's fast-moving style of play didn't didn't benefit um, Fernando Llorente, who had the turning circle of a tank. But um, even he did his job, and now that he's gone, we just don't have any kind of backup striker there. Um, a new defense, a new defensive midfielder. Well, not a new defensive midfielder, a defensive midfielder, because we don't have one. Um, we need one. A defensive midfielder could get the most out of Lo Celso and Ndombele and cover their defensive weaknesses. Well, neither of them are terrible. Well, Ndombele isn't good defensively, let's just say that. Lo Celso isn't bad at tracking back, winning balls. He's not afraid of going into tackles, but we don't have a defensive midfielder. And we needed, arguably... A couple of new centre-backs as well. Um, uh, sadly, Jan, Jan Vertonghen seems like he will be leaving the club at the end of his contract. A great servant to the club, but it does seem now is time for him to leave. And I feel like that's symbolic of what needs to happen at Tottenham. The old guard who we have been um, attached to recently, like like sentimentally attached to, like the likes of um, uh, Vertonghen, Alderweireld, Lloris... Um, Ericsson's gone, but that kind of player, um, Ekdaya, even Deli Ali, maybe. But I'd like to keep Deli Ali around. I, I don't think it's there's any chance that he should be sold. But those kind of players who are associated with the peak Poch years at Tottenham, when he was play, when we looked like one of the best teams in the world, um, that era is quite clearly over. And but we've still got a lot of the players from it still in the team. We need it's time to move on. We need. A rebuild and Pochettino said that just before he left he called for what he uh, described as a painful rebuild in uh, the white half of North London and it's clear now that he was spot on we can't be content with mediocrity anymore we've got a we've got we've got to progress everyone else around us is improving um, look at Chelsea for example signing uh, both Hakim Ziyech and Timo Werner and not being content with that looking even to sign Kai Havertz they're moving they're, they've got a lot of young players as well uh, Tammy Abraham Callum Hudson-Odoi who are actually getting first team opportunities not that um, some players aren't like for example Tang Anker's and uh, Tang Anker's been in the team quite a lot and uh, Mourinho is reportedly a big fan of Oliver, Saget, Oliver Skip um, but yeah Chelsea if Chelsea are an example of what, how a team should be progressing that they're an example, Tottenham are an example of what not to do, being attached to players of the past, not investing properly, not backing the manager. Uh, and yeah, I'll talk about the manager and why it is unreasonable to want him out at this point. It's just in a quick few sentences. He wasn't, he hasn't, he hasn't been backed sufficiently yet. Yeah, he's got the, he signed Bergwijn and the loan signing of Judson Fernandes, who, by the way, I, has a lot to prove if he wants to stay at Tottenham. Um, yeah, even he's made those two signings. He hasn't had a whole window to rebuild the squad in his image. Uh, Jose Mourinho's only been there since November, which is uh, not long enough at all to judge a manager by. Uh, a lot of there's been a lot of criticism of his negative football, and that's true. Mourinho, I have mentioned this before. Mourinho has Mourinho's teams have always played really, really negative football. Um, especially sometimes against teams that uh, like to have a lot of the ball, like United, as you saw when Spurs played United, the deep block counter-attacking system that Mourinho set up. Worked well, it's ugly, but it does work. And that's that's the main issue, it works. 
Mourinho has produced results and won trophies everywhere he's gone in his career. As a Spurs fan, I'm more than willing to sacrifice attractive football if it means that we'll win trophies. Every Spurs fan should be willing to sacrifice attractive football if it means that we will actually get some silverware. Um, yeah, this isn't. I don't think any of this is on Mourinho. I don't think Mourinho is. While I don't think Mourinho is the exact man that you want to lead the club out of this situation, he in in times like this he's. It's not ideal. <laughs> You'd probably want someone more, um, more patient, more willing to adapt. But he's the man. He's the man that we've got at the moment, and we've got to stick with him. He's been given a big contract on massive wages. His Spurs aren't going to sack him anytime soon. Um, but yeah, he's got to be. He's got to be backed by the fans, by the players, and most importantly, the boards. Pochettino not being backed financially arguably cost him his job. Um, in this in the summer before the 2018-19 season, we had no signings. We, uh, no, uh, no signings. Got to got to the Champions League final with no signings. Why it was a bit, yeah, it's a bit of a fluke. But got lucky along the way. Um, you can't take. No one can take that achievement away from Pochettino. And while we didn't, yeah, there'll be people saying, oh, yeah, that to the trophy cabinet, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we didn't win anything that season, that's true. But it's a massive achievement for Mauricio Pochettino. No one's taken that away from him. Um, but yeah, backing the manager financially is crucial. It's not acceptable for a to, uh, top top six, top four team even, to <laughs> having, having no signings in the summer. I still can't believe that. And it really hurts my head and heart every time I think about it. And it is really sad that I'm just here ranting by myself about all the problems with Tottenham Hotspur and how we need a complete overhaul. Um, but yeah, it's I, I, I don't really know what else I can say. We need new players and a fresh start. This season has to be written off completely and we have to put all our energy into focusing on next season. I would act, I've thought about whether I'd like to see us qualify for the Europa League um, or not. And I actually, I, I would, I think, because the Europa League is a winnable trophy for us. It's something that Mourinho would um, concentrate on. He would want to win it. And it's a route into Champions League in a time where the, the top four is becoming increasingly difficult to squeeze into. Um, City and Liverpool often look light years ahead of all the other teams in the league. Um, Chelsea are massively improving at the moment um, United also rapidly improving they look like they're going to be an actually properly serious top four challenge next season um, Leicester, are put, Leicester are as you know in the top four at the moment Wolves are pushing for it too um, Tottenham and Arsenal seem to be two teams who are lagging behind at the moment who are entering a rebuild stage um, so yeah when getting into Europa League and potentially winning it would be, I think that would be the best best situation for next season. Um, but yeah, we've got to give, if I just to sum everything up, we've got to give time to one of the most successful managers that football has ever seen. One of the best managers football has ever seen. Let's say it how it is. He's one of the best ever, Jose Mourinho. Um, We've also got to overhaul the whole squad, get rid of a lot of the deadwoods. Doesn't matter how long they've been at the club or what they've done in the past. If they're not playing well, let them go. So players like Eric Lamella, while he's played, been at the team, I always get people always get annoyed at me for singling out Eric Lamella. So I'll give another example after him. But Lamella's been at the club almost seven years now, and he's barely improved. Some people would say that he hasn't improved. Some people would say that he's regressed. <laughs> but um, he's he's offering nothing beyond being an occasional impact up at the moment. He should not be starting. He should not realistic, realistically be anywhere near a top six team at the moment. Someone like Lucas Moura, who is also barely more than an impact sub, is, be, is still being kept around and favoured by Tottenham fans, and presumably the board and manager because of his antics in Amsterdam a year ago. And while that is that, no one can take that away from him, and it's one of the best nights in uh, in my life as a Tottenham fan. That doesn't mean that we should be keeping him around because he had a good performance. Then 
just because these players have had good performances or or as some people love to say play for the badge put in effort it doesn't mean that they're good at football <laughs> we need to be we need to be signing players to replace the this deadwood the team of the past um signing players that actually have the ability that we that we want to be uh, contending for the top 4 and well some people would want to say winning the league that seems like a long long way off at the moment so yeah back the manager financially give him time overhaul the squad <laughs> quite simple really for the last segment of the episode i'm gonna talk about some questions and topics i've been asked to discuss by listeners uh the first one i've got is from jack on tour shout out to jack at thfc jack underscore who do you think spurs will sign this summer um <laughs> i don't know <laughs> probably no one <laughs> which is quite depressing um, I feel like the most likely signing is um, Pierre-Emile uh, Pierre Hoybier of Southampton. Um, especially because he's only got uh, a year left on his contract, I believe. And he fills a, fills a position that Spurs need, a defensive midfielder. There's been arguments that he's not a true defensive midfielder, but he is. He'd play that role for Spurs. Um, the reason I say he's the most like signing, because as I said, he's only got a year left on his contract. He's um, It's been made clear that he wants to leave Southampton he's got a no disrespect to Southampton but he's got loftier ambitions and um partially because I think um Carl Walker Peters will be going the other way I think it could eventually turn into a, a straight swap deal um I know Southampton will be looking for some cash to be involved in the deal but we know what Daniel Levy is like as a negotiator um <laughs> I can't I can't see any cash at all, well, any cash, much cash, if any, going towards uh, a deal for Hoiberg at this point. But, um, yeah, a straight swap deal is a win-win situation for both teams. Carl Walker-Peters gets to play regular football at a team that is at his level, respectfully, at his level. Um, Southampton get a good right-back, an upgrade, undoubtedly, on uh, Jan Valery. And Spurs get their, their man that they've been pursuing for a while and a defensive midfielder to fill that position um i feel as though if funds are made available which is you know i'm not holding out much hope because it's daniel levy that we're dealing with here but um if funds are made available i just expect to see Mourinho go in for yet another winger um even though we don't really need one uh, it's if lamella and lucas are sold which i believe they should be i don't think even though i don't think lucas will be sold i think lamella will um, but um, if those two are sold, we need to bring in another winger. There's been uh, recent reports linking Spurs to Alan Saint-Maximin of um, Newcastle, who would be a good addition to the team. He's he's not oh exactly what you'd call a world beater at the moment, but he's been very impressive for Newcastle. Um, if he can hone that end product a little bit more, he even which he has been doing recently. But if he can. Uh, just hone his end product a little bit more. That will make him into a potentially world-class player in the future. Um, one of the better dribblers in the league. We're talking about better dribblers in the league. So I've also been linked to Wilfred Zaha, which seems to happen every every summer. Um, not holding up much hope there. Palace always have always, since what seems like the dawn of time, been de- demanding a ridiculously high fee for their star man, which makes sense. Um, they don't want to lose him. Um... And he seems to be somewhat content at Palace. He signed a couple of new contracts there during his during his time after returning to Palace from Manchester United. Um, he seems fairly content there. I'd, if a big club came calling and was serious about signing him, I'm sure he would leap at the chance to to go there. Um, but yeah, I can't see Spurs signing many other players apart from. Uh, Pierre Milhoibier, but those other two wingers are a suggestion. The other one that I think is fairly realistic is um is Max Ahrens, Norwich Norwich City right back. Um, Norwich are going down. That's <laughs> that's fair enough to say at this point, which means that they are going to lose a lot of their talented players, and Max Ahrens is going to be top of the shopping list for many uh, Premier League clubs. 
Um, as I said, Tottenham need needs to uh, need to improve their options at in their fullback spot. And uh, Max Aaron's fits the bill nicely. Um, he's going to be a long term long term replacement for Serge Aurier. Aaron's is only Aaron's is only twenty. And whether Aurier sticks around as a backup, as I mentioned, um, remains to be seen. He is he has vastly improved under Mourinho. He isn't. He's uh, his strengths lie on the offensive side of the ball. He plays as basically a wing back for Spurs, um, which is which is good. That plays into his strengths. And when you've got defenders who can come across and cover, like Tanganga was as well, so Soko is often dropping back into that position to cover. Um, and he also isn't. He gets slated for his defensive work, but he is. And and his also his recklessness, which I can't debate the recklessness side, but um, he's not he's not a terrible defender. He's he's not good. He's not the, he's nowhere near um, being a like a like a one bissaka defensively. But he's all right, and I think he's worth keeping around as backup if we're gonna if we're gonna um, not sign two new right backs. But yeah, um, I could see the Aaron's deal happening. I'm assuming they'll demand a high fee from him. For him, uh, initially, probably could be around like forty million plus, considering he's an English player. I don't think he will be sold for that, considering he's a Championship player. I think a bit of around, I don't know if I'm being unrealistic or hopeful, but between twenty twenty five million could be enough to convince Norwich, um, especially if Aaron's makes it clear that he wants to leave. But yeah, I don't think Tottenham will be alone in their pursuit of uh, uh, Norwich City full this Norwich City fullback. But yeah, I think that he's probably the only other marginally realistic signing that um, Spurs could go for. Um, next question is from Matt. Matt, who's been on the podcast, at me, Matt, THFC underscore underscore on Twitter. He's asked me who will challenge for the Premier League next year along with City and Liverpool. Um, as I mentioned in the last segment, I think the two teams closest to them are... Um, Chelsea and Manchester United um, with teams like Spurs being a long way behind they're in the same bracket as the likes of um, Wolves and Leicester I think at this point um, I can't imagine I can't imagine even though Leicester are in third place at the moment I can't imagine them mounting a, a title challenge next season but I can see I can see Chelsea and uh, United doing it quite easy Chelsea have a lot of talent, well, not a lot of world-class talent in their squad. I'm, I mentioned a few weeks ago that the only truly world-class player currently playing for them, I think, is N'Golo Kante. But um, Christian Pulisic looks well on his way to that level. Tammy Abraham's a very good striker. They've got um, like seasoned Premier League players like um, Cesar Azpilicueta at the back. Capoeira is a balaga. He is shaky, but he's, he's a good goalkeeper. He's good on his day. And then with the arrivals of impending arrivals of uh, Timo Werner and Hakim Ziyech, that Chelsea, Chelsea is gonna uh, Chelsea gonna skyrocket. They're gonna improve vastly. Um, and if if they sign someone like Kai Havertz, the sky really is the limit for them. As I mentioned, it does seem a lot of the time like um, Liverpool and City are streets ahead. They're a class apart from everyone, which is. Which is kind of the case. We saw that last season when the, those two teams just ran away with it and the title race was just between those two. Um, but I think Chelsea could push them fairly close next season. Um, I'm not saying I'm predicting them to win the league, but I think they're the, the, they will end up being the closest to um, City and Liverpool, especially as Lampard is given more time and as the youngsters like uh, Abraham Pulisic... Hudson Odoi continue to develop. Uh, as for as for United, as I mentioned, they've got a lot of individual talent in their squad. I'm still not sold on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as a manager, as a manager who you want to be. Uh, I'm not sold sold on him as a title contending manager. Let's just say, um, seems like a lovely man, <laughs> but um, yeah, he's he hasn't done everything to convince me. It seems he does come across both in his interviews and in regards to his in-game management as fairly inexperienced, which is, at this level, is true. He's never had had a job this big in his career. But um, the the individual quality in their squad can't be denied. Pogba, Fernandez, Rashford, um, 
Martial, Greenwood especially. This goes on. They've got to uh, do a little bit of work at the back. Maguire hasn't justified his 80 million price tag. Um, Lindelof isn't a phenomenal centre-back. And the full-back... And Aaron Wan-Bissaka is definitely one to stay. Um, and maybe they it's time to move on for David De Gea as, uh, uh, in goal. He's had one of football's biggest declines over the last few years. A bit sad to see, really. But yeah, for them, their issue is putting it together as a team. They've got a, they've got, they've got, they have got a lot of talent, but they need to start converting that raw talent into um, regular good results on the pitch, which is something that they haven't accomplished yet. Um, that brings us to the end of this episode of the of the subs bench. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, thank you for making it this far. If you're still listening, um, if you've got any questions, inquiries, reaction to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the podcast, you can tweet me at benchpod with Sam on Twitter or email me at benchpod with Sam at gmail um, I've got the next episode of the backbench coming out on Saturday, and. Uh, the, next episode of subs, the next episode of the subs bench will be out next week Tuesday both of those two episodes will hopefully have a guest on um, but yeah thank you for listening to this episode and I'll see you soon <laughs>